Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be bringing out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2021. We begin with part of a conversation I had with my boss, the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation, Father Alan Fogarty, about being a Jesuit and his hopes for our ministry. And then we meet singer-songwriter Danielle Savard of Winnipeg. In our second half hour, author Berta Byrne tells us about her first novel, Encounters with the Sacred, a beautiful coming-of-age story about family and relationships and faith. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with singer-songwriter Michael James Meddy, whose album Exile was born out of a depression that he went through during the early days of the pandemic. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at eselmedia.org slash podcast. You can also reach me via email, pedro at eselmedia.org, but also through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. We begin now by meeting Father Alan Fogarty of Salt and Light Media. On August 1st, 2020, Father Alan Fogarty was appointed the Chief Executive Officer of Salt and Light Media. I finally had the chance to sit with Father Fogarty and learn more about him, about growing up in Nova Scotia, his vocation story, early years as a priest, and his hopes for what is to come for the Church. Here is an excerpt of that conversation. Father Alan Fogarty, thank you for being with us today. You, you grew up in Nova Scotia. Um, what do you remember about growing up in the east coast of Canada? Well, what I remember is, uh, well, many things. But, uh, you know, I come from a very large family. I have eight older brothers and yes. two younger sisters. And, wow. And so, you know, there weren't a lot of means. And so you made the best of things. And so you got creative with your uh-huh. entertainment. A lot of maybe climbing trees. I don't know. <laughs> and... Uh, but growing up, the music was very much a part of mm-hmm. Nova of Scotia. Nova Scotia, as yeah. most people know, and and certainly part of my life. So I grew up with a fascination, and uh, uh, basically, I think I could say I was enthralled with the bagpipes. And okay, so, I was going to ask you what instrument the bagpipes. Yes, so I uh, I played very seriously uh, the bagpipes. I played in. Uh, in a grade one pipe band and played uh, in solo contests professionally. Wow. And so, you know, <clears throat> it was a real, very serious part of my life for a long time. But what I remember about it most was the friendships really that mm. I, I made during that time and uh, with other piping and drumming right. friends and so right. on and even into Highland dancing, the whole cult- yeah. Catholic culture. Fun. Was it, so, so you, you mentioned it 10, so eight older Brothers and two, and two so there's so that's and a ninth son in a row. Wow! Right. So your mother's a saint. She is. She's still alive. She's still with us. My my dad passed uh, some years ago, but mm-hmm. he uh, she's an amazing woman, and I she's one of the of the strong memories of my past. Really, so because I'm assuming Nova Scotia, large family, very Catholic family. Yes. Yes. So we we took up a whole pew <laughs> in the church on Sunday morning and. And of course, we went to the 9 a.m. Mass, yes. um, which we all love to get out of bed early for on a Sunday. Yes. And so there, there are memories around that. But yes, we were, we were a very Catholic family. Were you a server? I was a server. You and all your brothers, probably. Uh, I don't 
know if they were, because uh, the interesting thing there is like the first eight are a year apart, and then they're four years. They're four years between oh, my okay. uh, brothers, wow. and my brother and me. And so I, I'm not really sure if they did. I think some of them did, and uh, just <laughs> little stories there. Now that you mention it, because a couple of them I think still remember the Latin, so they oh my they gosh. were they were yeah because they're it's good that you mentioned that they're much older than you because yes not. well see Vatican II was I was born in in '63, so Vatican II so was, was just, just getting happening. so my older brothers mm -hmm. they were still serving the Latin Mass. So how do you get to meet the Jesuits? The way I got to meet the, again, through the a pipe band connection, okay. I was walking, I was living in Halifax, studying there, and I was walking down the street one day, and there was a, a person for, that I played in the pipe band with. He was a, an excellent drummer, in fact, mm -hmm. snare drummer, and who became what left teaching and became a priest for the Diocese of Anaganish, Father Neil McKenna. Mm. And so Neil was walking down the street. We said hello, but he was with two other people, and one was a Jesuit priest. So we went out to dinner the day, the next mm -hmm. day, and I stayed in touch with this Jesuit priest. And he eventually, from Seattle, and he eventually, you know, just said to me, I'm kind of hearing a vocation there. Do you think that there's, um, that, that is, that's possible? And, and I'm saying, yeah, you know, and then I thought the, the Jesuits, you know, was really kind of right. out of my reach <laughs> because it seemed that you, you had to be really smart to be a Jesuit mm -hmm. and all these sort of things, and I wasn't thinking of myself that How way. How old were you? I was, at the time, I would have been 22 okay. when this was going mm -hmm. on, and then 23, 24, 24. So he just said, what about, you know, just going to see somebody I know in Toronto. Okay. Talk to him, work through it, and if it's not for you, it's not for you. So I did, I reached out to the person who happens to be Archbishop Terry Prendergast. <laughs> we talked. He says, okay, you should meet the vocation director. Right. And it went from there. Yeah. And so, Wonderful. Yeah. And, and, and it was interesting because I thought of other, other kind of roads into mm -hmm. the priesthood. And, and as I approached those, it just seemed like it wasn't happening. When it came to the Jesuits, like, all the doors, all the opened. doors opened. So for me, that was kind of uh, an experience of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I, I was getting confirmation, yes. and, and one thing led to the next. And it's not like it was an easy, you know, it was a given that if you show up at the door, you're going to, to be accepted. Yeah. You know, the application process took six months, and it's yeah. rather detailed. Yes. And so, yes. you know, in interviews and so on. We're about to enter our 20th, celebrate our 20th anniversary. Um, what, what excites you about Salt and Light Media that you'd like to focus on as we enter our third decade? Well, I think it's, it's kind of hard to say one thing. So, and, and people who know me would say, well, he's never focused on one thing. So, <laughs> you know, this fits, fits very well with that. But, you know, I would, I would see there's a, a role that Salt and Light has to play with the church. Mm -hmm. And so how do we serve the church and what's happening? Because obviously the church needs all the kind of positive energy that it has to be brought out through the platforms that we have. So like you say, with, with teaching and all this other mm -hmm. infrastructure that's going on to make things happen behind the scenes, mm -hmm. we so often hear the negative things of the church. I'm not saying they're not there, 
but I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired about yeah. hearing, hearing about them and, and think the light needs to be shone on the positive things and, and on people struggling, but struggling to do good things. Mm -hmm. And so there are the stories and yeah. Salt and Light can tell those stories. Yes. Salt yes. and Light can bring alive uh, the presence of, of Jesus in the world and the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so that's where I would see, generally speaking, whatever we do, whatever the programs are, whatever the shows are, uh, however, whatever platform it's on, we can really find those people mm -hmm. and animate that for others so that hopefully uh, people are not just sitting, watching these things, whether it's a one minute thing or a one minute clip or a 30 minute, 60 minute documentary, but and then, then just vegging there, saying, mm -hmm. oh yeah, next. But something that we do that can inspire people to act in the world, to be agents in the world, mm -hmm. to find others who are doing similar things, to be strengthened in that, reinforced in it, so that everybody benefits. Because really, you know, here it's a platform, and like none of this is about me, nothing. This is not about salt and light. This is about Jesus in the world, this is about God, and this is about helping others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a Jesuit, we, we talk about in our education about forming men and women for others, because we mm -hmm. have boys in, and girls in yes. some schools. And then certainly in the university level, it's, mm -hmm. it's co-educational. So um, how do we form men and women for others, for and with others? So if we just give people a good education, then okay. So, you know, anywhere can form a genius mm -hmm. but if you have somebody with a heart and mind that's united that's that's interested in in looking beyond their own interests to help others to draw them in to bring life to them that's where it's at so I think salt and light is a brilliant way to do that yes and uh, so I'm a, and I'm a kind of an excitable person and so <laughs> I have to stop thinking about all the possibilities of salt and light and how we can respond to what's going on in the world, how mm -hmm. we can help the mission of Pope Francis, mm -hmm. who we know. It's just like, I, recently I, I was home in Nova Scotia and people were asking me, well, because they know that I'd met Francis, uh, Pope Francis a number of times, what's he really like? And I found myself saying that I think perhaps he's the most important person to hit the planet in at least the last 200 years. He is, he's the real deal. Mm -hmm. He works very hard. He's focused and he's, we know he's pushing boundaries, but what he's doing, I believe is he's calling people to responsibility and accountability mm -hmm. because we know that we can, we can get going on our own agenda and we can forget what's really important to be called back to that. Nobody likes to be corrected or called mm -hmm. back to that. But we always have to be open to being corrected mm -hmm. and so that we can grow and be better mm -hmm. with Jesus at the center. And so, Francis, if anyone has emptied himself like Jesus has, I think, on this planet today, like we don't know for sure, but <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I think Francis is a person we can see from the, the fruits of his labor and how he's doing things, that he is a person who mm -hmm. is very much like Christ. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, actually. Welcome. He's an amazing man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I look forward to all of that with you as we move forward. Father Alan, thank you. 
Thank you very much, Pedro. Um, I'm very happy to be here, and I look forward to great things happening. And, uh, you know, I say sometimes there are a lot of things I don't know, but what I do know, one thing I know is that we can only get there together. And so we work together and work with others who are doing, let's find them, let's be strengthened in this network of, of people who are, are really solid and thinking and caring about others. That was part of a conversation I had with Father Alan Fogarty, CEO of Salt and Light Media. To watch the full interview, go to slmedia.org. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Danielle Savard, with her single, Gently. Danielle Savard with her single, Gently. Danielle Savard was born and raised in Winnipeg. Um, she was classically trained, but she switched to, uh, to do Christian contemporary and praise and worship music after having a pivotal year with Net Ministries. Um, she's been nominated for the Western Canadian Music Awards as Spiritual Artist of the Year, and she has also been featured on CBC Radio and on CHVN's Made in Manitoba radio program. And today she's on the Salt and Light Hour with me. So Hi. Danielle Savard, <laughs> it's so good to have you on the program. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So you grew up, you grew up in Winnipeg. Tell me about that. What was growing, what was growing up in Winnipeg like? 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Well, home sweet home. We are known for our cold weather here, yeah. but you know what? We have, there's really good people and it's like, Hey, it's, it's heartwarming, even though, <laughs> even though the weather's cold. So, but we have a really great music community here. Yes, you do. Safe network. And yeah. You yeah. Do. And I, I have to say you're so, it's so, I mean, even, even in the, I mean, in the secular world in Canada, uh, everybody looks to Winnipeg. Like it's such a mm-hmm. vibrant music scene and so many great Canadian musicians have come out of, out of Winnipeg and uh, in our own Christian tradition. I mean, Steve Bell has been on this program many times. Um, and uh, so it's great to have you also joining oh, the ranks there. Um, so did you grow up Catholic? Yes, born and raised. So grew up, um, I went to private Catholic school for um, the first three grades and then switched over to homeschooling. Oh, and then, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then did a year of missionary work, got my degree. So life just got rolling. So how did you, how did you end up doing, uh, how did you end up coming in touch with or getting in touch with Nat? Like, how did you end up doing that, that missionary year? You know, I actually, I've, I met some, I met some really influential, like young adults through my church that I just admired and was like, you know what they had done that. And I was like, you know, one day I feel, I feel like I would like to do it. And then just the opportunity, how it, how it came to me. Um, I was planning to go to university and um, I was all set to (laughs) begin my first semester at um, CMU for music. And then like Net had told me earlier in the year, they're like, because I had applied and they were just like, oh, you know what? We're we're actually full this year, but we'll, we'll hold your application for next year. So it's like, okay. But then they called me when I was actually at um, the lake with my mom um, late in the summer of 2013. And they were like, you know what? We had a few people um, drop out because other things came up for them. And we're wondering if we could interview you and if you could come on. And I was like, it was, it was very much like a last minute, like God moment where it's like, okay, like, yeah, I will like the doors just open. So So you, sorry, you said you were 18. It's pretty young. Mm -hmm. And and were you on a parish team or? or... Um, I was actually ended up being on a traveling team. So we've been coast to coast Wonderful. across Canada. Experience. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and would you say that that, I mean, in the intro, we said that it was a pivotal experience. Like, was it, was it a bit of a conversion or were you already pretty, I mean, the fact that you had decided to do net probably means that you were already mm-hmm. fairly Catholic. Yeah. Like I would say like my faith has been like a gradual deepening process. Like mm-hmm. just over time, it's become more and more personal and like I've owned it and been grounded in it even more so um net wasn't a conversion experience for me it was more of a grounding experience Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. our team was equipped with um a band called massive worship so we did like praise and worship music yeah yeah yeah. coast to coast and we also did prison ministry and i just you know it was interesting because leading up to that point i had um been playing the flute like i began my music life when i was five years old (laughs) playing flute in the classical realm for like 15 years and then when i when i went on net then i i really like i was a backup singer for the band and i was like you know what i really i really love singing um about about my faith and i had been writing a lot of music Mm -hmm. prior to that but i didn't really um I didn't really believe or what's the word 
I didn't own my own voice until until after net. And it was like, you know what? I am going to, for a while, I think I was, I was actually singing through my flute. And then I I switched (laughs) when I got, when I got back from net and I was in my music degree, I switched from being a flute major to a voice major and just studied singing professionally then. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, Massive worship. Did you, did you go through Toronto? Cause I remember when massive worship was, uh, we did when it yeah. started actually and i think we actually filmed salt and light media might have filmed okay. one of your whatever concerts at at york university wow. Um, wow that's good does massive worship still continue is that something that as Ned has far continued? as you know as far as i know but i'm not sure what is going on right now with yeah. all you know the changes oh with covid <laughs> i know it's been crazy yeah. i know i've heard about that um um so you 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 came home after covid you went to university but if something had changed you really felt that you had found your voice maybe your your writing became more focused is that fair to say um, uh, yeah after net um and when i began my degree i just um I really decide, I, I really made it more intentional that, you know what, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to sing professionally and I'm going to sing for God <laughs> and um, my writing, like I had been writing for so long, but I just dedicated my writing even more yeah. so to, because my, really my songs are an overflow of my prayer life. And so as my relationship with God deepened, yeah. it was parallel to the depth of songwriting that mm-hmm. I was writing. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you've, you've written a lot of stuff. You've put, been putting a lot of singles. You have some, some music on YouTube, some, some on other streaming uh, platforms, but you've never put out an album. Is it because, I mean, I know that there's a financial commitment when you put out an album, but is it because you feel like I, I, sometimes I find that artists need to, you have to have kind of like the right collection of songs before you can kind of put them together as a collection. Mm. is that what's kind of happening there or, or actually you know i yeah i have no shortage of material i actually have yeah more than i know how to process oh, that's great. <laughs> but um so yeah so it's not a lack of material it's actually um so i've been part of manitoba music for the past three years and mm-hmm. you know it's it's really interesting how the industry changes and um over time and especially just after like covid and how everything is going to digital streaming and mm-hmm. yes. um yeah. you know when you're emerging as an artist um you are more likely to reach more people when you when you drop singles as opposed to yeah, yeah. an album nowadays yeah. i mean no, about you're right yeah, you're not the first 15, person to tell me that. Yes. Yeah, 10 or 15 years ago it would be like all about the album. And some artists who are very much further down the road in their career do release albums yes. and they're successful, but um initially out of the gate um singles are the way to go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now you've mentioned I mean you mentioned Manitoba music and 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 I earlier mentioned the the Western the Canadian Music Awards, the Western mm-hmm. Canadian Music Awards. Do you see yourself as a, I mean, you, you said that you, you wanted to write music for, you know, that express your faith. Do you see yourself mm-hmm. as a Christian artist, particularly um, like where, where do you fall in there? I mean, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. Great question. <laughs> I've actually um, been asked this like three times recently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, at the heart of, of who I am and at the heart of my songwriting is my relationship with God. So yes, I'm definitely a Christian artist, but I do, um, I do branch out into other genres as well. Mm-hmm. Like, um, 
like AC adult contemporary or folk or um, even like just some secular pop I've been um, like more like they sound like like love songs but I mean um, I can be singing about my relationship with yeah you could yeah but and you know the world could see that as a love song so it's there's there's a lot of crossover (laughs) yeah there is and I and I and I think that's good because it'd be great to to hear your music on secular radio Mm. um means that you might be touching people that you wouldn't be touching if you were labeled and i hate to call it that but labeled as a christian artist or even as a catholic artist like Uh oh absolutely (laughs) Um, anyway i'm glad to hear that there's 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 no shortage of compositions because i really 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 enjoy what you've sent me the music is excellent Um, and and i hope that there's more to come um, so we can, at the very least, have you back on the show. Oh, well, thank you. I'd love that. <laughs> That'd be so, so great. Um, Danielle, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show, for sharing a little bit about you with us today and for sharing your music with us. Thank you for what you do. Thank you so much for having me. You can learn more about Danielle Savard and her music at her website, daniellesavard.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. And if you missed any part of our conversation or you want to listen to it again, Uh, Just go to our website, slmedia.org. Here now to take us out is Danielle Savard with her newest single, Your Timing's Perfect. All that I was dreaming fell right through my hands. You whispered through the chaos and said I
Danielle Savard with her song, Your Timing's Perfect. This is a special edition of the Sultanite Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Be sure to visit our website at esomedia.org slash podcast. Welcome to the Sultanite Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Encounters with the Sacred is Berta Burns' first novel. It's a brilliant work of historical fiction, a beautifully written story about a young girl growing up in an immigrant family in the 80s in Canada and attending Catholic school. At the same time, it tells the story of the repatriation of Slovenian refugees by the British after the Second World War. It is an engaging coming-of-age story that shows how important faith and intergenerational connections are. To tell us more, I'm now joined by Berta Byrne. Berta, it's good to meet you. Welcome to the Sultanite Hour. Thank you, Deacon Prager. I'm so honored to be here. Um, so how did you come up with the idea for the novel? Uh, we need definitely need more than 10 minutes for that. Yes. <laughs> but um, essentially, I finished grade eight and I had one of those really incredible teachers um, that, you know, you finish and you're like, wow, that was like something you could do a movie on. Um, so I had the seed planted and I went home and I said, I'm going to write a book about my grade eight experience. And of course, because I was 14 years old, that lasted about two days. And then I went and swimming and, you know, enjoyed my summer. Uh, and, but the idea never left me. Okay. Never just left to, me. So just to clarify, you were in grade eight a long time ago. It was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So the idea right. stayed there for many, 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 many years. Yeah, it really did. It really did. Um, yeah, it stayed there for a long time. And it's, it's almost like when people talk about their vocation story and they say, you know, God was chasing me and, yep. you know, I just never, you know, never let, let, it, let me go. Um, so that's what this story was for me. It just wouldn't let me go. And um, I had obviously had a lot of maturing to do and learning in order to write a book of this scope. Um, but I was about 24 years old. I started teaching mm -hmm. and I went on a retreat with the students, a Salesian retreat. Yep. And at the retreat, someone said, oh, so what do you want to get out of this retreat? And I said, well, you know, I'm here to support the students, but I haven't gone to confession in a while. So I went to confession and it was a very, very unusual confession because I had never gone um, to a priest who could, I guess you could say, read the soul. Okay. Um, and so it was just unusual. And he was, you know, I, he was saying things that I thought, wow, this is incredible. And then at the end, he said, you know, God's calling you to write a book. And I said, and I said, yes, I know. I said, I know. I've known this for about 10 years. I said, can you tell me what it's supposed to be about? And he said, well, you have to pray about that. So I was highly disappointed <laughs> because I just wanted someone to tell me. Right. Um, because I always knew there was a piece missing. Right. You know, I knew it was supposed to be this grade eight story, this year, you know, coming of age story. Mm -hmm. But I knew there was some massive piece missing. Um, so I did what he said. He was absolutely right. I started to pray about it. <clears throat> and it wasn't until, oh, my gosh, maybe another 10 years wow. where um, my friend walked up to me and she said, here, you got to read this book. And it was Slovenia 1945, um, all about, it's called Slovenia 1945, Memories of Death and Survival After World War II. So this is like a history book. And okay. I've got two small kids. 
And the last history book I read was in university. <laughs> and yep. I'm thinking, I don't, you know, I have no interest in reading another history book, you know, for, you know, maybe many, many years to come. So it literally sat there. And then again, I guess it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. I picked it up mm -hmm. and I actually started to read it. Right. And I don't remember at what point, but it was like a lightning bolt went right. through my body. I don't know how else to do it. wasn't a light bulb moment. It was a lightning bolt moment. Yeah. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is, this is the missing piece. So that's the, that's the historical part of the novel. That's right. And I, I don't want to give, I, I mean, I don't want you to tell us the whole story, but yeah. can you maybe just tell us a little bit about that real history, about the repatriation of Slovenian refugees. And, and maybe I should note that your background is Slovenian. I mean, you are. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I'd been, I mean, these are stories, like it was such a part of my life that that's, I mean, that's how ingrained it was in me that I, it never even occurred to me that this is something I'd write about. Okay. So you like, did know you did, this was some history that you did know. Yes. Known yes growing um, up, but just from, yeah. Going to Slovenian school as a kid on Saturday mornings, Okay. Um, having family that went through this, having right. friends whose family went through this, growing up in a community where you heard these stories that I think I even say in the book at, at the bar at a banquet, you know, you could be getting an orange juice as a kid and you're hearing these Slovenian guys talking about right. what went on. So, yeah. So um, after 1945, after the war, um, it wasn't just Slovenians. I mean, it was like a mass migration in Europe of people leaving countries mm -hmm. where communism was coming into power. Mm -hmm. And so many of them had opposed these communist, um, you know, communist system that was coming and they had fought against it. And so really in order to um, be safe and in order not to be, you know, possibly killed, um, they fled their countries. Mm -hmm. So these home guards who were who were men who would actually defend literally the villages um, that were being attacked, they would defend them because there was really not much, not anyone else really there. It's 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 honestly, it's kind of hard to explain the whole thing. It's such a complex, it was such a right. complex time and so much going on, um, but they fled and the, and it was home guards and it was civilians. And so they went into Austria and when they got to Austria, they were told that they could actually go back to Yugoslavia, but with the British behind them. Right. And that we're going to go back and you can fight this communist regime that's coming through Tito. Mm -hmm. And so they were really gung-ho because what did they want? They wanted um, what the British had. You know, they wanted freedom, yeah. right? They didn't want to be oppressed. Um, so they were all ready to go. And rather than actually going into Yugoslavia with the British behind them to fight the communists, they were actually betrayed. Right. And yes. that's, and that's in chapter one. So it's not, you know, someone might think that's a, but that's actually chapter one. Yeah. And it's just them being sent back. Right. Um, and we know now, I mean, there's hundreds of mass the Many of them were killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and somehow that story is intertwined with Spella's story. That's right. Based, I guess on your grade eight experience. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the, the two stories. Sorry, come. and and again, I don't think this is a giveaway, but there's a there's a very influential character in the novel, which is the teacher. You mentioned that you also had a very influential teacher in grade eight. Mm -hmm. um, is this was this teacher a Slovenian teacher? No, 
No, okay. he wasn't. To be honest, I don't even know what his background was. I I don't know. But he inspired um, me. Yeah, he was he was like a mystery that way. But yeah, so it was just such an it was just yeah somehow that all came together in the writing process. And in yeah, interesting imagination. Interesting. How how important do you think that family and faith is, especially for immigrant families? That's a great question. Um, I think it's crucial. I mean, looking back at my family, I mean, that's what I, that's what I was raised with. It was the faith. Mm -hmm. The faith is what, you know, got everybody through. Um, this story isn't in the book because a lot of it is not necessarily my family history. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, of the history of what was, what is, um, in that book, Slovenia, 1945, but my grandmother, um, after the war, she was, or just actually, I think it was still during the war. Um, my dad was a newborn. So it was definitely, yeah, it was 1943 mm -hmm. and she was holding my dad and all, all of a sudden kind of all hell broke loose and their village was all the people in their village, very small was taken and they were put into a home. And they were going to light this house on fire and just burn everybody in it alive. Hmm. And so my grandmother is holding my dad and she's just waiting to die. They're waiting for the gas truck to come um, and to take these people out. And what happened was a German soldier actually came and stopped the process. And that's why I learned the difference between like the SS and German soldiers who weren't in support of what was really happening with Hitler and so forth. Um, but they stopped the whole process and saved, you know, all these people. So my dad always, you know, tells me the story and is like, you know, if that didn't happen, right? Like wow. you wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here today. Um, so anyhow, it, sorry, that's uh, <laughs> getting a little off topic. But my point is that it was their faith that kept them going in those moments, you mm -hmm. know, those, those moments of darkness mm -hmm. um and it, it was definitely their faith that kept them going you know and my grandfather and on both sides so i think um i think that faith was so important because when they came here what's the first thing they did they built churches right you know and then the community would settle around the church mm -hmm. um so that was just such an important hub of uh you know the faith was the first thing that was central and then little things came from out of it like slovenian school and um banquets and you know we'd have all these yeah. experiences. and i know that's true for a lot of cultures it you is know, yeah and, and 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 family and and i love how yeah there's all these connections and and of course as a 13 year old you know in grade eight Spella in the book I mean she won't mm -hmm. she doesn't understand it but she's figuring it out and that's such a part that's of right. who she is and I would love to, to to read the sequel of Spella when she's in her 30s <laughs> and how she looks back maybe at helping her own children grow up why is it called encounters with the sacred oh that's another good question um because yeah I again it was that phrase came to me when I went to uh, an in-service as a teacher I was listening to Sister Claire Fitzgerald and she came to talk to all of us who were doing, I think it was part one religion and I'm listening to her and she said, teachers today don't know their role. She said, the role of this teacher is to give the students encounters with the sacred. And wow, that blew me away. As soon as I heard that phrase, it just never left me. And I just thought, you know what, when I finish this book, whatever this book is gonna be, I just know that has to be the title. 
And really that's it is that in every moment we can have an encounter with the sacred, you know, and that's why this book is full of really, really dark experiences where the character still has an encounter with yeah. God. Yes. And then really like simple moments, you know, where this girl in grade eight is going through her own kind of suffering. Yes. That is not as dark, but yet that but is also an encounter. encounter with the yes, sacred. It is. Yeah. So that's why I called it that in the end. Well, I'm glad you called it that. And I'm glad <laughs> that you wrote it. Berta, we have to leave it there, but thank you so much for, I'm glad you finally got the book out of your system um, <laughs> and that maybe there's more to come. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Berta Byrne is the author of Encounters with the Sacred. It's published by Justin Press. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Michael James Meddy, with All Alone from his new album, Exile. Where has my best friend gone? Why am I all alone? Naked and scared I lie. Michael James Meddy with All Alone from his album Exile. Last we spoke with Michael James Meddy, he had just purchased a mobile home and was setting out on tour with his whole family. Since then, 
he's incorporated his oldest children into his band called MJM7. They spent a lot of time traveling and were part of the youth festival at World Youth Day Panama in 2019. I actually had a chance to see them there. Michael has a new album that we've been listening to called Exile. The album was born out of a dark depression that Michael went through. And to tell us about it, I spoke with Michael James Meddy last week. Michael, it's good to see you. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Deacon. Excited a, to be here. It's incredible that we you haven't been on the show since since 2015. And I know you and I saw each other in 2019 in Panama, and mm-hmm. we've we've uh, spoken since. Um, but I'm I'm uh, a little ashamed to say that I didn't know that you had been going through this difficult time, right? Especially last year. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. Well, I mean, uh, COVID, man, (laughs) a lot of stuff's happened in the last uh, year and a half, you know, and um, a lot of people are struggling with mental illness right now. I I read a study uh, about a year ago that 30 percent of Americans were on some kind of antidepressant or some kind of a a help for that. And, um, you know, I'm an artist Uh, and artists oftentimes struggle with depression, with mania, with all sorts of different things. And um, yeah, this year, it's been a real challenge dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression. Um, it got me to some really dark places. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember uh, Bono from U2, a couple of years ago, he was talking about um, Christian music. You know, a lot of Christian music tries to kind of copy U2. And, yeah. and he, they, somebody asked him, like, so what would you tell, you know, a Christian artist? And he's like, well... I want to hear about your bad marriage. I want to hear about when stuff is going bad. I want to hear about like when your family's falling apart. Like that's that's what people need to hear mm-hmm. so that they have hope. And so kind of as, as my own therapy or my own artistic expression, uh, I decided to start recording albums. And, you know, maybe for the first time in a long time, like just trying to really clear the faders and, and say like, what is the art? What is the message that's on my heart? And not trying to say, oh, I want to write this song that people might sing at mass or, you know, the album kind of needs another upbeat song. But just to say, like, what's in here and to really follow the muse wherever it leads. And uh, that's that's the product of this album, you know. Yeah. And that makes sense. I think that that's a good place for for all artists to to start. Um, Can I ask you and pardon me for I mean, maybe a little bit of ignorance about the whole topic of mental health. Um, because I've heard people say, and maybe they're right to a certain extent, that that a lot of the it, the struggles that people have been having over the last year and maybe even before, that it's really not a mental health crisis, that it's a spiritual crisis. But my sense is that someone like you is well grounded in your spiritual life, but you still suffer right. mental health. Right. And I mean, you described it as dark places. So can you tell... Sure. I, think, I think some of our listeners might 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 be going through a similar experience. Well, one of the things that I've realized with this experience uh, very profoundly is that our spiritual lives and our kind of mental health and psychological, there are, are ways that they are connected and there's overlap there, but they are definitely two separate things. Uh-huh. Um, last, last fall, actually, we read with my oldest daughters, the discernment of spirits and kind of a a how-to guide about learning about St. Ignatius yes, and, and really trying, you know, working through that process of discernment. And one of the things that they talked about, you know, with consolation and desolation in the spiritual sense, and he made very clear that's different than psychological depression right, or psychological, you know, excitement. 
And um, I can speak from personal experience. You know, I love Jesus. I've devoted my life to Christ and, and devoted our, our family's life and ministry to trying to spread the gospel. There are, are times when it was beyond my willpower. It was beyond my ability to, um, and I'm not saying this like my free will was always intact, but it was beyond just like making sacrifices and, you know, offering it up to God or something like that, where people oftentimes would say right. that mental illness is something that's very different than spiritual desolation. And would you say that, is it fair to say that the, 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 the crisis begins because of an event? Or is this something that can just happen to anybody at any given time? I mean, you, you, you pointed the fact that last year was difficult. Right. So is it fair to say that it, that was kind of the catalyst that sort well, of the, unraveled for you? I mean, definitely. I, I think a lot of people are experiencing that. When you have isolation, mm-hmm. when you have, um, you know, uh, not being able to be with family and friends, like isolation breeds eccentricity, you know, and the devil uh, doesn't want the body of Christ to come together. That's the opposite. He wants, you know. Yeah. Um, the devil looks for a lone wolf that's by himself rather than the community, the pack. And, you know, if anything, last last year, that, that's exactly what we had. <laughs> we had extreme isolation. We had uh, lots of depression, lots of, you know, alcohol use was on, was, uh, you know, times 10 and all up and down the board. I think people, you know, when you're faced with those situations, you can get bitter or you can get better. You can turn to your faith uh, or you can turn to other things and, um, you know, I think a lot of people maybe maybe got weary uh, of of turning to their faith and maybe started to turn to other things that that are not the path to holiness. Yeah, and 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 if I understand what you're saying, is that you do need both. So your faith, your spirituality will ground you, but if but sometimes you do need uh, medical help. And, that is and, correct. And that that's important too. And in your case, because you're an artist, you're able to also use your art to help you. Um, if I can say as therapy. And so out of that came this album that I must say uh, as a concept album, I very much enjoyed. There was something about, it, it actually reminded me a, a lot about the Beatles. There's something about, about the, the style of, of storytelling or writing of some of the, 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 the older Beatles stuff. Um, and you've titled the album Exile. Does that word exile kind of, summarize the experience that you were going through feeling oh oh definitely definitely i mean that's that's very intentional uh where it felt like it felt like where i was maybe in the promised land um with a lot of our life with our touring with our family our ministry mm-hmm. that suddenly all of that was was taken away and if you look in the old testament god uses those times of exile the babylonian exile to kind of wake people up <laughs> and to show them what they had before and, and, you know, the prophets rise up and then lead them back to the purity of worship, the purity of of love of God. And so um, it's my hope that not only myself personally, you know, in going through this, that this would be a path to get back to that place where I feel the consolations of God, but maybe also to reach out to other people, you know, and um, I think that there's a lot of people in the church that might be struggling with mental health right now. I saw a statistic uh, the other day that um, Catholics compared to other Christians are 60% less likely, 60% less likely to seek therapy, to seek help. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Sanctuary Mental Health. That mm-hmm. was a, an organization that was just designed around the church and mental health. And, and they actually have a Catholic 
section of it. It's been really helpful for me. Yes. Um, I was able to find a therapist that I've been meeting with every week. He's actually a Catholic priest and a doctor. And so he really understands both and has been able to help me navigate mm -hmm. a lot of that because I think there is a huge stigma, not only with mental health, but also as Christians and Catholics to say, you know, like, well, we're just not praying hard enough or, right. you know, the devil made me do it or, you know, it's just all this guilt and shame. And so, yeah, uh, those it's treacherous waters to be able to navigate through. And it's so helpful to have somebody that can really has been there before that can lead you up that mountain. Yes. Um, and yes, I'm a, a sanctuary. We actually featured that program on, in this show last year. They do oh, wow. really good work. Um, I'm glad that, that they're helping you. Um, um, I have been helping you. So in the little time that we have left, it's a concept album. Uh, is it fair to say that it kind of sort of follows the journey through the darkness and through the transformation, can I call it that? Onto, I mean, it's a yeah. I would album. say one of the other threads that I had running through my head was the journey that Jesus took from the Garden of Gethsemane, okay, through uh, you know Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then ending with the Alleluia. So um, yeah. it can feel like everything is lost, that we're all alone, but then um, Christ makes all things new uh, with Easter Sunday and the resurrection. Right. Is it your hope that the album will help people go through that, uh, heal through that journey? Um, like, what is your hope of how this music can be used to help people right. who are struggling with this? I think that there are a lot of people, especially in the Catholic Church, um, that are really struggling um, with maybe, you know, burdens that they think have to be private. And... Um, you know, my hope is that somebody might listen to this and say, at least there's somebody else that's that's going through this, that's gone through this, and um, and that Christ alone is going to be our strength, and that Christ alone will be our hope, and that there is hope, there is uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Right, and I think that that's very clear with the way the the uh, the album ends, um, and I think is it fair to say that people should sit and listen to the whole thing beginning to end. I would love for people to sit and listen beginning the end. Yeah, the, the last song, Alleluia, uh, was kind of a homage to one of my favorite songs of all time, Good Vibrations yes. by the Beach Boys. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can maybe listen to it with that lens. Yeah, well, that's good. Okay, Michael, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Um, uh, I hope that, uh, that this album brings a lot of uh, hope and healing to, to, to the listeners. And if anybody uh, is listening and they're struggling with mental health issues, Michael did mention Sanctuary. That's a, it's a great program where they can seek help. Their website is sanctuarymentalhealth.org. So, Michael, um, people can find out more information at your website, mjm7.band. So let's uh, end, Michael, with that song, Alleluia, from your album, Exile. Thank you so much. Strainy to It's a new day It's a new day It's so hard to see It's staring at the sun It's right in front of me If we're the dust on stage 
Listening to Michael James Meddy with Alleluia from his album Exile, and that brings us to the end of this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to come see us. Our website is slmedia.org. That's where you can find all about Salt and Light Media and what we do. If you hear anything on this program and you want to comment or just to let us know that you like the show, reach out to me. You can do so on all social media platforms. You can also email me, pedro at slmedia.org. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. <laughs>